0: good morning. Uh, My name is uh, Mitchell Cruitt. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, If you would like a Bible to follow along as we uh, walk through this morning's passage, you can raise your hand and someone will bring you one. Uh, But this morning we are continuing our sermon series through Acts that we've called the Acts of the Risen Christ. And we're considering the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And I think this is an important topic for us, uh, because as one of my pastoral mentors uh, used to say, uh, sometimes we can treat the Holy Spirit like he's the bad boy of the Trinity. Uh, And although this attitude is not appropriate for the third person of the Godhead, uh, sometimes we react this way because of the nature of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He acts in unpredictable ways. Uh, The Spirit blows where He wills and does surprising things that often can make us very uncomfortable. Uh, Add to that, there's the ways that churches and Christians have abused and misused the work of the Spirit in their own lives. Uh, Think of the ways uh, that these churches can sometimes be characterized. Sometimes they're marked by elevating feelings or impressions over the Word of God. Sometimes they are marked by confusion rather than peace and Uh, Sometimes they're marked by doing things chaotically rather than in order and uh, decently, as God's word would instruct. Yet the abuse and misuse of the work of the Spirit is no reason to ignore or minimize the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity uh, who is given by Jesus as our helper. And Jesus says it's to our advantage that he go away so that the Holy Spirit can help us as he guides and directs us. And so we would do well to be sensitive to the Spirit's work and guidance in our lives. Yet, there's two difficulties, at least, in being sensitive to the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. First is we often misunderstand the nature of discerning God's will for our lives, but we also misunderstand the role of the Holy Spirit in leading us into God's will. First, we can wrongly conceive of God's will as a dot that we can easily miss. It's something that's narrow, small, that if you just make the wrong choice, you end up totally outside of his will. Some of us have experienced this as we thought about our college choices, fearing that if we choose one college over another, we might somehow end up outside of God's will for our lives. Some of us have faced this when we've chosen jobs, thinking that if we choose this job or that job, we might somehow mess up God's plan for our lives. We think if we pick the wrong person as our spouse, if we pick that person instead of this person, we might somehow ruin God's purpose for our lives. But our God is not so small that our decision could ruin his plan for our life. Let alone, that's not actually how God's will works. God's will is not a dot that can be easily missed. uh, But rather, a circle that establishes boundaries that we are free to explore and roam within. The the boundaries of that circle are God's word. So as long as a decision does not clearly violate a principle of God's word, we are utterly free in Christ to decide this or that. So this college or that college, you're utterly free in Christ to decide. This job or that job as long as they're not asking you to compromise your integrity or to compromise faithfulness to Christ, you're utterly free in Christ to decide. This person or that person as a potential spouse, as long as they know Jesus and are growing in Christ with you towards him, you are utterly free in Christ to decide. And it's these kinds of decisions then, the ones that are within the boundaries for which God's word has established, that the Holy Spirit's guidance then becomes so important as he leads, guides, and directs us and the decisions we're utterly free in Christ to decide. But sometimes we can downplay this work in our life by the Holy Spirit because we've heard people violate this principle. I'm sure at one time or another, we've heard someone say, the Holy Spirit's leading me to do something that we all know is explicitly forbidden by Scripture. Uh, Most often I hear this around relationships. Someone trying to say, uh, you know, I think the Holy Spirit's leading me to date this unbeliever. Maybe I'll be able to effectively reach him. Although, Scripture clearly makes the case that's not to be. Or perhaps the Holy Spirit's leading me to pursue this unbiblical divorce that we know Scripture does not allow. Or perhaps, I've heard this even among pastors who've disqualified themselves, The Holy Spirit's leading me into this affair. I need this to continue doing the ministry. Let me just tell you, the Holy Spirit does not lead you into sin. These things tend to equate a person's desires with the leading of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit will never lead us to act against his word. And so instead of limiting, minimizing, or even ignoring the very real leading of the Holy Spirit, because at some times people have used or misused the Holy Spirit to justify sin. Instead, we ought to grow in sensitivity to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and better understand how he guides us and directs us. And this is what our passage in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 15, will help us to flesh out. As we walk through Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 15, we'll see that this text is tailored to teach us that we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, or to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see that we need to be sensitive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit by considering how the Holy Spirit guides us and why the Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit uses closed doors to guide us. The Holy Spirit uses open doors with a wise, godly community to guide us. And the Holy Spirit guides us to glorify Jesus for the good of others. But before we dive into God's word, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do want to be led by your spirit. Uh, We confess that we do ignore that at times and go our own way at times. Yet at the end of the day, those of us who are in Christ long to glorify you with our lives and long to be led by your spirit. And so we ask that as we come to your word this morning, you would use your word, to produce in us a sensitivity to your spirit, a humility to listen when you speak. And so, Lord, we also ask that in doing that, you would guide us to honor Jesus, to love him more, to glorify him in all that we do. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help me especially to preach your word clearly, faithfully, and passionately so that Jesus would be made much of this morning and so that we would all Make much of Jesus as we live for you throughout the week. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, if you've not turned there yet, I invite you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Uh, if you're using one of our community Bibles, you can find that on page 925. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you'll be looking for a big, bold 16. That's a chapter followed by a small number 6. That's a verse. And once you've found it, let me encourage you to uh, ask... Uh, God, to help you hear from him this morning. Uh, You know the burdens you have. You know what you're hoping to hear even out of a topic like this. So ask that God would speak to you this morning. Well, if you're ready to receive God's word, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Look with me in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Here we see that the Holy Spirit uses closed doors to guide us. The Holy Spirit uses closed doors to guide us. Now, last week we saw that Paul had chosen Silas to go with him on a missionary journey, revisiting the churches he had helped start to encourage and strengthen them in the faith. And along the way, they had picked up Timothy as another apprentice to join them in this work. And all of the churches that they visited were in the region of Phrygia and Galatia that was mentioned in verse 6 of our text today. And so now having come to the completion of of that journey, having revisited all of those churches, it seems they want to move on from strengthening existing churches to starting new work in new places. And if you'll look with me up here on the map, we'll see uh, how natural it would have been for them to head uh, uh, southwest into Asia for that work. So you see this laser over here? It's not going to be as clear when we get to the map, but can you see it? All right, follow with me. So, They are right now, probably in Antioch, the last church uh, uh, that they established in that area is headed there. And if you look down this way in Asia, are all these significant churches and cities, Smyrna, Ephesus, Miletus, Colossae, uh, churches that we read of in Scripture, churches that we read of in Revelation that are important churches for an important work. And yet, the text tells us the Holy Spirit forbid them from going that way. But then you'll also notice Bithynia right here, It's the region that's next closest. And so geographically, it would be natural to think, okay, if we can't go this way to all these important cities, let's go north to Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus forbids them from going that way. And this is all the more striking when we then consider how far they have to go to get to their next location. So they're going to go from Antioch here all the way following this line through Mycenae to get to Troas. All that way. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit from speaking the gospel. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit from ministering the word. The Spirit has put a muzzle on them so that they cannot say or do anything of an evangelistic nature. Although this is a bit shocking that the Holy Spirit would muzzle evangelistic ministry, clearly, again, it's the Holy Spirit who's guiding them. The text tells us the Holy Spirit forbid them. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And yet... Our text is not specific in how that forbidden come. It could have been a variety of things. It could have been a divine vision. We'll encounter one later. It could have been that God withdrew a sense of peace. It could have been that they were warned that the roads were marked by bandits or had fallen apart and so they couldn't make the way. It could have been another set of circumstances. Ultimately, we don't know. But we know that the Holy Spirit closed that door of work to them in their lives. And the Holy Spirit guided them through closed doors. And when God closes a door, I'm sure you're thinking of the phrase, but that's not right. Uh, when God closes a door, it does not mean that He opens another one. It just means that God's will is not to go through that closed door. That's all a closed door tells you. And one of the ways the Holy Spirit then guides us is by closing doors to say, don't go that way. Now, every now and then, you'll hear someone who says something to the effect of, I know that this is God's plan for my life. Or more specifically, often in ministry, I'll hear people say, I know that God has called me to ministry. But listen, if God never opens a door to you in that area, I don't care how much you desire it. That is not God's plan for your life. That is not God's will. If the door is shut, that is a clear indication God's will Is not that path. But sometimes we can be so zealous for what we think God's will is, for what we desire, we can ignore the leading of the Holy Spirit. We can try to force that door to open. We will want to go down that path no matter what. And I think knowing Paul, we could imagine this with them. They know God has promised to make them witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And out of zeal for that mission... I can imagine it would be hard for them to think the Holy Spirit's not allowing us to go to Asia. The Holy Spirit's not allowing us to go to Bithynia. and They might easily rationalize the Holy Spirit couldn't possibly mean that. The Holy Spirit couldn't possibly want us to stop doing this evangelistic work. So let's figure out how to make that mission happen in these particular places. And then instead of following the leading of the Holy Spirit to something he clearly has a plan for them in, they go to Asia or Bithynia, ignoring him instead. But when the Holy Spirit closes a door, we need to be sensitive to that leading. We don't need to force that door back open. We should instead follow his guidance. But this also requires wisdom. Although the Holy Spirit may be closing doors to specific opportunities, that doesn't always mean he's closing the door to that kind of opportunity altogether. Again, consider with me how easy it would have been for Paul, Silas, and Timothy to conclude that when the Holy Spirit forbid them from Asia or Bithynia, that what he was actually saying is, you're done with mission altogether. This can be some of our natural response. Perhaps they think, oh, maybe we were wrong to bring Timothy. Maybe we should take him back, and that's why God doesn't want us to go. Or maybe God wants us to go all the way back to Antioch with Timothy, and he's just done with this section of the work. This can often be our immediate assumption. If one temptation is to force going through a closed door, the other temptation can be to assume that a closed door to a specific opportunity means closed door to all opportunities like that. In fact, this is what Rebecca and I went through just prior to coming to Northwood. I don't know how many of you have heard the whole story of how we ended up on Northwood from our end, Uh, but it began with many closed doors. Uh, I first began looking for a pastoral position in August of 2018, uh, and the very first church I actually learned about through our district superintendent, Glenn Schreiber, was Northwood. But it would be another eight months before I heard from Northwood for the first time in April of 2019. And in those eight months, I experienced so many closed doors that it called me to question whether I ought to be going into ministry at all. First, the church I was serving in decided not to offer me a permanent position even though they were saying we sense that you are gifted and qualified for ministry. And then I think it's safe to say in the next several months I applied to something like a hundred positions and heard back from none of them. And so as I headed into December of that year I began to wonder maybe the Lord is preventing me from going into an existing work. And so we began to consider whether the Lord would lead us into church planting. And so we even visited Washington, D.C., Winston-Salem, and Nashville to explore whether the Lord would lead us to start a new work in one of those places. And in Nashville, we actually connected with a church that said, hey, we'll sponsor you, we'll give you a staff position, we'll even send out people with you to start a church, but you need to go be assessed as a church planter first. So I went to assessment, at the end of that assessment, the church planting assessor said, you know what? You're not ready to be a church planter. You are not a gifted enough preacher or a gifted enough evangelist to be a church planter. That door slammed shut. And then after that, we began to actually hear back from churches we applied to and even got to uh, the second person in, in many cases. And at that point, again, doors slammed shut in our face, being told you're not experienced enough as a preacher or a leader or some other reason. All of this leading me to really wonder, Lord, should I be doing ministry at all? And not having uh, the, the church that we were attending at that time offer a permanent position, called that into question, and never really learned why that wasn't offered. And the only thing that got us through that season was the past work of God. Yet, I had to pause and ask again and again, what was the Holy Spirit leading or guiding us to in this season? And now looking back, I can see how the main thing he was doing was forming my character. But it would have been so easy for me to conclude that was a closed door to ministry altogether. And again, the only reason I didn't conclude that was because God in the past had made it so clear through previous ministry and through the affirmation of the churches and people we knew that I ought to pursue ministry. Further, the support of Rebecca and the people who knew us best Uh, continued to tell me that I needed to be a pastor. And add to that my ongoing desire. Never in all that time with as many closed doors did I actually want to give up being a pastor. Yet it would have been easy to do after seeing closed door after closed door after closed door. And in the same way the Holy Spirit had so clearly called Paul to go into ministry, to pursue mission work, I think it's that And my own experience, that allowed them to see that these closed doors were not closed doors to ministry or that kind of opportunity, but simply closed doors to specific opportunities. So the lesson we can draw from this, again, is the Holy Spirit uses closed doors to guide us. And sometimes a closed door means the Holy Spirit is trying to redirect our path altogether. He is saying, no, your desire is not what I want for you. Please course correct. But sometimes, a closed door means that the Holy Spirit is simply seeking to lead you to wait for the right opportunity. So I'd ask you this morning, where might a closed door indicate that God has a different plan for your life than you have a plan for your life? On the other hand, where might the Holy Spirit be saying no to just one specific opportunity, but not to your desire for that kind of opportunity? In order to discern the answer to that question, though, we actually need wisdom, and we need the help of a community. Which brings us to verse 8. Look with me. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us, to preach the gospel to them. Here we see that the Holy Spirit uses open doors with a wise godly community to guide us. After being forbidden to go to Asia or Bithynia, they now head through the region of Mysia and come to the port city of Troas. And here the Spirit finally opens a door to the ministry to them. Paul receives a vision of a Macedonian man pleading with them to come and help us. And the text says when Paul saw the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. I just want you to notice briefly the shift in language here. No longer he, no longer they, but we. For the first time in Acts, the author of our story, Luke, is introducing himself into the story. He is now a participant on this missionary journey. He is not just recording what he's heard Paul or others did, he is now actually seeing it and experiencing it personally. We can't know for sure, but perhaps this is one of the reasons the Spirit would forbid work in Asia and Bithynia at this time so that Paul and Silas and Timothy would connect up with Luke and Luke would become a companion and even want to begin to write and record the gospel according to Luke and all of the work that God did through Paul. But in any case... I also want you to know why they immediately sought to go to Macedonia. It began with a vision, but it was not Paul's vision alone. It also involves the wisdom of a godly community. Notice verse 10 says that they went concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This word is significant. The word concluding in verse 10 carries the notion of putting the pieces of a puzzle together. That is, gathering information and drawing a conclusion. It may seem like the vision's clear to us, but that's not actually how Paul and his companions took it. They took it as something to consider and think over. They hear the vision and think over it using wisdom and understanding that the Lord had given them. As one pastor puts it, it's not a matter of guessing God's will, but making a wise decision. And then notice, it is not Paul alone who concludes this, but in every case the verbs are plural. The Holy Spirit would not let them in. We concluded God was calling us. We are not to seek God's will in isolation from the counsel of others. And the point simply is this. An open door in and of itself does not mean that the Holy Spirit is leading us towards that door. I made this case earlier in the introduction, but want to remind us again, we need to use wisdom here. For example, an open door to something Scripture has clearly forbidden is not the Holy Spirit trying us, trying to get us to go through that door. It's Satan, our enemy, tempting us with an open door towards sin. And I know this may be obvious, but again, just because you have the opportunity to sin and could get away with sin does not mean you should sin. You should refrain from that. That doesn't mean God wants you to. And further, we need to consider open doors in the context of community. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke conclude this on the basis of Paul's vision that they ought to go. But Paul doesn't decide this on his own. And this is consistent with what Paul says elsewhere, that we ought to test the spirits. He doesn't say, I've got a vision, it's right, we're going. No, they consider this together. In light of God's word, in light of their shared wisdom, and out of that, they then move forward together. And part of the way the Holy Spirit leads us is Not just through God's word, not just through our circumstances, not just through our desire, but through the community that God has given us. The wise and godly counsel of the people God has placed us in a community with. One of the reasons God has brought you to be a part of this church and this particular church family is so that we would help one another as we're seeking to make decisions. So that we could have wisdom and input from one another in the important places of our lives. But perhaps, like in the case of Paul, our community would join us in considering a decision with us and affirm that we ought to go through that open door. But perhaps they will help us to see that although we're free to go through that door, it's not beneficial or it's not wise. Again, this was part of our story before we ended up at Northwood and how the Holy Spirit guided us. As I mentioned earlier, I was getting door after door closed in my face. And at the same time, Rebecca had her dream job. She was working as a uh, mental health counselor in a private practice. We loved Gainesville, and I knew that the church I was currently serving in, that even if I had a job that wasn't in full-time ministry, I'd be able to use my gifting and training to serve that church. And so I began applying to non-ministry positions. And the very first open door I received in a series of no's was actually a job being... a, a apartment manager. This job was actually, despite it may not sounding that way to you, was a good match for my gifting, my skills. It was a good match for my desire to do ministry. It had a ton of flexibility and would have allowed Rebecca to keep her job as a counselor. In the face of so many closed doors, I was sorely tempted to say yes. But after I was offered the job and we talked to our community and we talked with one another and we prayed, It was through that process that we ended up concluding that even though the Lord had provided this opportunity, ultimately none of us could imagine me not being a pastor. And so as hard as it was, that was a turning point for us. Our community, even knowing that would mean Rebecca and I would leave them, ended up saying, no, you need to be a pastor. Go and pursue pastoral ministry. And so we stopped trying to stay in Gainesville. And I put all of my energy into looking into pastoral positions, whatever they might be. Listen, so often we try to make decisions on our own. We try to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit and do things independently. But again, God didn't set us into a church family for no reason. He set us into this church family in order to figure out things in the context of a community so that we wouldn't have to do it on our own. The Holy Spirit uses open doors with a wise, godly community to guide us. Now, I'm sure all of us can think of situations where someone has told us or really informed us of a decision that they've made that we actually think is a terrible decision. It's unwise, it's not good, but they expect us to respond by supporting them. Or I think some of us can maybe relate to actually doing that to people. We inform people of a decision, expecting they're going to support us, but instead we're met with silence or even concern. All of us know that is really uncomfortable. It's really awkward. None of us like being in either one of those positions. So let's just stop doing that. And instead, I'd plead with you, let's try not to make decisions on our own. Don't tell people what we've decided and then expect them to support our decision. Instead, when there are open doors, when there are decisions to be made, invite people into the process with you. But doing this requires ensuring that at least a few people at Northwood know your life inside and out. And you need to return the favor to them. People need to know, what are your ambitions? What's your testimony? What are you afraid of? How is God working in your life? How is he using you? Where are you growing? Where are you struggling? And it's people who know the answers to those questions who will be best prepared to help walk through a decision like that with you. So who are the people like this that are godly and wise, that you can trust that the Lord has placed in your life? What are the areas in your life where you're trying to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit? Well, then ask the people you just thought of what they think about those things. And just to be clear here, you're asking for counsel, not for permission. If you ask enough people, they're going to give you conflicting advice. So to follow the advice of one person means you're going to not be following the advice of others. But that being said, if everyone seems to give you the same counsel that may be a good indication the Holy Spirit's leading you in a particular direction. If everyone gives you the same counsel, then you probably need to hesitate a little bit before you decide to go in a different direction. And here's the beauty of this. When you've sought the wisdom of the community the Lord has placed you in, especially if everyone seems to point you in the same direction, then you can proceed with confidence and joy no matter the difficulty of the circumstances after you've made the decision. Again, this was true for us when, again, we continued to pursue ministry position after ministry position, facing closed door after closed door. What gave us confidence was knowing that our community was behind us and thought we needed to move forward. And this was true even more recently as Rebecca and I were thinking about getting pregnant again. There were a variety of reasons why I was open to, yet hesitant about whether that would be what is best for our family. And it wasn't until Rebecca encouraged me to seek Art Notor's counsel about some of those concerns that I finally felt the freedom to set those concerns behind me and to trust the Lord as we pursued getting pregnant again. It was through the help of a community that I was able to put those burdens aside Again, this is part of why God has not just saved us as a bunch of individuals to go running around on our own, but he has saved us into the church, into a family of believers. So again, I'd ask you, who are the people in your life who are godly and wise that you can trust with things like this? What are the areas of your life where you're trying to seek discernment of the Holy Spirit? Ask those people you just thought of to speak into those areas. And let me just say, I am so encouraged by you as a church in this area. I know this is not true necessarily for everyone, but many of you are pursuing these kinds of relationships with one another. You're cultivating honesty and transparency with one another. You're inviting one another into the big and little stuff of life so that you might grow in the Lord and in wisdom in the context of community. And as you do that, trust me, the Holy Spirit will lead you. And when the Holy Spirit does lead you, using open doors with a wise, godly community, now let me encourage you, obey him and obey him immediately. This is what the, uh, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke do. Now, just as they realize that God has called them to preach the gospel, how quickly do they go? Immediately they go to Macedonia to do what God had called them to do. So this is how the Holy Spirit guides us. He uses closed doors and he uses open doors and the context of a wise and godly community to guide us. But why does he guide us? Look with me at verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And she prevailed upon us. So why does the Holy Spirit guide us? The Holy Spirit guides us in order to glorify Jesus for the good of others. The Holy Spirit guides us to glorify Jesus for the good of others. So after this vision from the Lord inviting them to Macedonia, the community together discerning they ought to preach the gospel to them, they set sail to Macedonia and eventually come to Philippi which Acts describes as one of the leading cities of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And it seems that this is the first time they've come to a place where there was not already an established Jewish community. We can see this by where they have to go on the Sabbath day, uh, as we see in verse 13. First, they have to go outside the city gates. In other words, there's not a synagogue in the city. Second, they come to a place of prayer, which could have been a synagogue, what most scholars seem to agree was simply an outdoor gathering space for people to meet. And third, they speak to a group of women who had come together. And the inclusion of this detail is important for us to understand what's going on here. John Stott points out that since Luke adds that this congregation consisted of women, it's usually assumed that this explains the non-existence of a synagogue. A quorum of ten men was necessary before a synagogue would be started. And so... They're starting this work in an actual unlikely place. In Philippi of all places. This is super surprising given what we've seen. The Holy Spirit forbids them from all the significant cities in Asia. Forbids them from going to the nearness of Bithynia. Sends them all the way to Macedonia. To a place where a synagogue doesn't even exist. And not only that. They began this work among women. Left to the prevailing Roman paradigms at this time this is not where you'd go to start a new movement in a city. Although women in Macedonia were noted for their independence and could enjoy significant freedom, it was only freeborn women with three children and freed women, so formerly slaves became free, with four children who could pursue legal transactions of their own. Add to that, women were largely considered unreliable and could not even testify legally as a result of that. If you were trying to start a movement in a city, you would not begin with women. And yet, this is where God begins his work to redeem a people for himself in a new city. And this is in what some ways is so surprising about our culture's critique of the Bible as being oppressive towards women. The vast majority of human history, it was not obvious to any culture that women should be treated with the same dignity and respect as men. Yet, as as apologists Rebecca McLaughlin and Glenn Scrivener would point out, It's actually through the Old Testament teaching regarding men and women being made in the image of God, through Jesus's ministry, including women, through the first eyewitnesses to his resurrection being women, and moments like this that actually began to change society to begin to value and respect women. So when our culture critiques the Bible for being oppressive towards women, ironically, it's using values that came from the Bible itself. Values that the Bible taught that men and women are equally valuable before him. And so if the Bible's treatment of women is sometimes a sticking point for you as you consider Christianity, I'd invite you to consider how and why our culture came to value women in the first place. And I'd suggest to you the reason is actually found in Christianity itself. But more to the point of our text, all of this means it would have been incredibly surprising to our original audience, for them to start this work among women in Philippi. They're starting a a work among such a small and insignificant people from the world's perspective. And yet it is precisely here that the Holy Spirit has led them to bring glory to Jesus for the good of others. In verse 14, we meet a uh, woman named Lydia. She was a worshiper of God, meaning she was a Gentile who had come to worship the one true God of Israel. And she was well-to-do, or wealthy, which is clear from the fact she was both a merchant of uh, purple cloth and was able to invite the whole missionary team in verse 15 to come live with her. That means she had a big house for them to come stay in. And this text tells us that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul had said. And it's a result of this work of God in Lydia's life that she believes the gospel which is evidenced by her own baptism. And it seems that she even led her whole household, which would have included a number of children and servants, to believe the Lord, to believe the gospel for themselves. Because, again, verse 15 says that her whole household was baptized. And most scholars conclude that her home would become the base of operations for Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke in Philippi. And even conclude that the early church in Philippi probably met in her home For quite some time. Clearly the Holy Spirit. Has led them to this place. At this time. Forbidden them from all these other places. In order to glorify Jesus. For the good of these specific people. This is for the glory of Jesus. Because it's first and foremost. His work not theirs. It's the Holy Spirit who led them there. And notice again. It's the Lord who opened Lydia's heart to the gospel. Paul may have been speaking if the Lord had not opened her heart, she would not have heard him. This is then for the good of others, because it leads to her salvation, to the salvation of her household, to the establishment of a church in Philippi. So if you're not a Christian, part of what I hope you'll see here is the connection you have to Lydia and the people of Macedonia. Like the man who said in the vision, come and help us. You are in need of help. The Bible describes you as being dead in your sin. It says you stand under God's judgment and wrath. And like Lydia, you are in need of the Holy Spirit to open your heart. You need to see that the only hope for your sin is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus' perfect life makes Jesus your perfect representative. Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross means that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. And Jesus' victorious resurrection means that the curse of sin, which is death, has been broken. So that you can move from death to life. You can move from guilt to forgiveness. And you can move from a broken relationship with God to a reconciled relationship with God. So if you're not a Christian Christian, I want to encourage you today, please talk with someone about what the gospel means for you. Or at least read the message on your own. Consider the book of John and Acts and see if the Lord might do something in your heart to cause you to confess Jesus as Lord. And let me just say, if you want to find meaning and purpose in your life, the only place you'll really find it is in Jesus. And Colossians 1 tells us that all things were made through Jesus and for Jesus. You and every single person was created for the glory of Jesus. So if you want to find meaning and purpose in your life, the only way you're going to do it is if you live for the glory of Jesus, which is the work of the Spirit. He has come to help us glorify Jesus. God desires for you to be saved from, his, from your sin and His wrath. And the Holy Spirit desires to give you the very purpose you were created for once again. This is why Jesus lived, died, and rose again. So if you're not a Christian, please consider the gospel this morning. And if you are a Christian, I encourage you to remember that the Lord still does the converting work through faithful messengers to the gospel. Your Lydia is waiting somewhere. Trust that when the Bible is taught, God does work in people's lives. And even if you don't have the boldness yet to speak the gospel to someone else, you can pray. And it's by praying, we can reduce our anxiety about trying to teach the gospel to those who don't know know Jesus yet. As John O. points out in his book, Prayer, prayer is the link in the chain that connects God's sovereignty to our responsibility. When we pray for God to save someone, we admit that he alone has the power to do it. When we thank him for our salvation, it's because we know that he saved us. We didn't save ourselves. As we pray to God for salvation, we realize that God's sovereignty diminishes only our anxiety and only our apathy, not our activity. Prayer, then, is the pump at the gas station that connects us to the fuel for faithful evangelism. This is part of what we do when we gather for prayer during our prayer meetings. And so if you need to be filled with confidence in your evangelism, I'd urge you to start by joining us tonight as we pray for, among other things, God's continued work in people's lives. And if you need some reassurance that the Holy Spirit actually does work in these ways, that the Holy Spirit actually does open up people's heart to the gospel, then I'd plead with you, consider Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Remember, Jesus has said, it is for your advantage that I go away because I will send to you the Holy Spirit, the helper who will lead you, direct you, and empower you. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the good news is that when Jesus died, he really did rise again. He really did ascend to the Father and has poured out his spirit on all who trust in him. For the good of others. Jesus' promise that the Holy Spirit would come. To lead us to glorify Jesus for the good of others. Really has come true. And so if you have trusted in Christ. The Spirit is living in you right now. The one who would lead us to glorify Jesus for the good of others. Is residing in you. Empowering you. Strengthening you. Prepared to guide you to do just this. So trust his work. Because this is why the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit guides us to glorify Jesus for the good of others. And as it relates to this broader topic of considering where the Lord might be leading us, it would be helpful for us to consider whatever decision we're making in light of why the Holy Spirit came. So you might consider asking, how might my decision lead to the glory of Jesus and the good of others? Or you might flip that question around and instead ask, how might my decision hurt others and dishonor Christ? And you probably, for any one decision, might find answers to both those questions. There's all the more reason to press into the wisdom of community and sorting it out. But if the Holy Spirit leads us in order to glorify Jesus for the good of others, we can be confident whenever the Holy Spirit leads us, he's going to lead us towards that. And as I think about my own journey towards Northwood, despite the twists and turns, the ups and downs, the bumps and bruises, I now cannot imagine the Holy Spirit having led us to a different place. It's so obvious to me that the Holy Spirit is at work among you to bring glory to Jesus for the good of others. And it's been my prayer since I arrived, and it's going to be my prayer for as long as He would keep me here that the Lord would use me in the same way to bring glory to Jesus for your good. That's why I want to be your pastor for your good. So as we wrap up our time together this morning, I want to invite us to consider what God has been saying to us through his word. Where is the Holy Spirit guiding you, directing you, leading you? And please, please do not let this be the last time you talk about it. If you go to lunch with people afterwards, If you come back to the prayer meeting, if you're in a small group, find an opportunity to think about this text with other people. And maybe these questions will help you. So where might closed doors indicate that God has a different plan than your desire? On the other hand, where might the Holy Spirit be saying no to specific opportunities, but not to your desire for that kind of opportunity in general? What situations do you need to involve wise, godly, and trusted brothers and sisters in Christ to better discern how the Holy Spirit is leading you? How has the Holy Spirit already guided you to make decisions to glorify Jesus for the good of others? Finally, who can you continue praying for that the Holy Spirit would open their heart to the gospel? Let's take some time to consider God's word. Heavenly Father, we recognize that it can be very scary to seek your will in the context of community. And yet we also recognize that part of the reason Jesus died was to unite us to other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we ask that today you would lead each of us individually and lead us together as a church be the kind of place where it's safe to have those kinds of conversations. Where as risky as it is, it would not feel risky because of the grace and love and maturity among us. But more importantly, Lord, we ask that you would be the one who leads and guides us. We say this often in our prayers, but it's true, unless you build the house, we labor in vain. And so, Lord, we we really don't want to pursue things if you are not leading us there. We want to follow in your footsteps. We want to give our time and energy and attention to the ways that you are already working and depend upon your spirit to continue to work. So Lord, please help us to depend upon your spirit. be sensitive to His leading, to His guiding, that individually and together, our community in our lives would bring glory and honor to Jesus for the good of one another and for the good of the world. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.